You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Boosts Maps Privacy, a court shields password disclosure, feds foil a massive scam operation, Iran-Israel cyber tensions escalate, Idaho National Labs reports a significant data breach, a security engineer's cybercrime confession, N2K's Rick Howard reports from the recent MITRE attack con, speaking with Blake Strom from Microsoft about 10 years of the MITRE attack framework, and Brian Krebs' relentless investigation into the target breach. It's Friday, December 15th, 2023. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is your CyberWire Intel Briefing. Google is enhancing privacy protection for users' location data in its Maps Timeline feature. Currently, timeline data is stored on both users' devices and Google's servers. However, Google plans to shift this, ensuring location history remains only on user-owned hardware. Additionally, the default storage duration for this data will be reduced from 18 months to 3 months. This move is part of Google's effort to secure location data against potential legal access, such as geofence warrants used by law enforcement. If users opt for cloud backup, their data will be encrypted, making it inaccessible even to Google. This update aims to protect sensitive information, especially in contexts like visits to medical facilities, which Google pledged to delete swiftly but has been inconsistent in doing so. Users have some existing control over their location histories, like the ability to enable or edit them. The upcoming changes also include a feature for managing activities related to sensitive locations, enhancing users' control over their data. Privacy advocates welcome these changes, though some remain cautious about Google's commitment to privacy. Google asserts its ongoing efforts to provide users with more control over their data, emphasizing their intentions to improve privacy measures continuously. These changes, expected to roll out over the next year, represent a significant step in enhancing user privacy in digital spaces. 
Federal prosecutors disrupted a major pig butchering scam, arresting two and indicting four Californians for laundering over $80 million from victims. This scam, named after a Chinese phrase, involves building rapport with victims through cold messaging, then tricking them into sending money to fake investment platforms. The scammers show falsified profits, persuading victims to invest in crypto or other assets before disappearing with the funds. The accused used shell companies and various banks, including Bank of America and J.P. Morgan Chase, to funnel profits to accounts in the U.S., Hong Kong, and the Bahamas, linked to money laundering and the Tether stablecoin. This case represents a significant enforcement action against a scam that costs U.S. citizens hundreds of millions annually. Shakib Ahmed, a 34-year-old senior security engineer, pleaded guilty to high-profile cybercrimes, including a $12 million theft from Nirvana Finance and another decentralized exchange. His admission reveals his use of sophisticated methods, exploiting vulnerabilities in smart contracts of Solana-based exchanges, including a $3.6 million attack on Nirvana Finance using a flash loan. Ahmed employed advanced laundering techniques involving token swap transactions, transfers across blockchain networks, conversions into Monero, and use of international exchanges and mixers. He faces serious consequences, including forfeiting $12.3 million and paying $5 million in restitution. Ahmed's conviction, a first involving a smart contract attack, is a significant legal milestone in addressing crimes in decentralized finance. Scheduled for sentencing on March 13th, he could face up to five years in prison. The Utah Supreme Court unanimously ruled that suspects have a Fifth Amendment right to refuse providing phone passcodes to police, a principle affirmed in the Alfonso Valdez case. Valdez, arrested for kidnapping and assault, didn't give his passcode during the investigation. The state's use of his refusal as trial evidence led to his conviction, which was later overturned on appeal. This ruling underscores the complexity of applying the Fifth Amendment in digital evidence cases, with potential implications for the U.S. Supreme Court. Legal experts note the current lower court confusion regarding digital evidence and the Fifth Amendment, suggesting this case might be reviewed by the U.S. Supreme Court for clarity. In the ongoing conflict involving Israel, Iranian cybergroups have intensified their operations. The group known as Oil Rig, also identified by various names such as APT-34, Lyceum, Krambus, and Siamese Kitten, has been particularly active. According to ESET's analysis, since 2022, Oil Rig has launched a series of attacks against Israeli targets using four new downloaders, Sample Check 5000, OD Agent, Oil Check, and Oil Booster. These tools, while somewhat basic and detectable, have proven to be effective. One notable tactic in these attacks is the use of legitimate cloud services for command and control purposes, Oil Rig's primary focus is on cyber espionage, gathering information rather than engaging in theft or sabotage. Israeli law prohibits private companies from attacking international cyber systems, but according to the Jerusalem Post, one Israeli company, Saitaka, believes it's found a way to hit back at Israel's enemies in cyberspace without running afoul of the law, engage international partners. 
The Jerusalem Post writes, Their efforts target disinformation distribution, psychological warfare, and offensive cyber operations that fund terrorist organizations. The SciTaka organized operators are empowered to undertake targeted cyber counterattacks. By identifying and neutralizing hacker networks, economic losses from attacks can be mitigated. Closer to home, Idaho National Laboratory is notifying 45,000 individuals, including current and former employees, retirees, postdocs, graduate fellows, interns, as well as their dependents and spouses, of a data breach involving stolen personal information. The breach, identified on November 20th, affected the Oracle human capital management software used for HR applications. Compromised data includes names, birth dates, social security numbers, salary details, and banking information, all current as of June 1, 2023. Those affected will receive a letter from Experian and INL offering no-cost identity protection and credit monitoring services. The hacktivist group SiegedSec claimed responsibility for the breach, with INL investigating alongside the DOE, FBI, and CISA. Impacted individuals are advised to be vigilant against identity theft and phishing attempts. Coming up after the break, our own Rick Howard speaks with Blake Strom from Microsoft about 10 years of the MITRE ATT&CK framework. Stay with us. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business.
Back in October, the MITRE Corporation hosted the AttackCon 4.0 conference at their company headquarters in McLean, Virginia. And one of the coolest things they did on the 10th anniversary since they invented the MITRE ATT&CK framework was to bring back the original researcher analyst who came up with the idea in the first place. On the panel was Jen Miller Osborne, who just recently stepped down as the Palo Alto Network's Deputy Intelligence Director for Unit 42, Brad Crawford, the Vice President of Product at Phylum, Eric Sheasley, the Head Global Security Architect at Sony, and Blake Strom, the Principal Security Researcher Manager at Microsoft. I got to sit down with Blake after the panel and started out by asking him if he thought the MITRE ATT&CK framework was the de facto standard for how cyber threat intelligence teams convey and represent adversary playbook intelligence. So we definitely had antibodies when it comes to to standards and people calling it a standard. So we'll just call it a framework or a knowledge base. We're we're comfortable with that. Why has everybody accepted that? You guys didn't think it was going to be that when it started. So how did it become to be that? Um, I think it's because it was just the right mix of uh, threat intel, uh, red teaming, and uh, defense. And uh, so I mentioned Todd Woodbold's in the uh, the panel. So he was the guy that hired me. He was my department head when I was at MITRE for a long time. But he had this saying about attack that it was like the rug that brought the room together. Sort of like, you know, uh, what's that movie? Is it Lebowski? Yeah, the big Lebowski. Big Lebowski. Yeah, yeah, so he said you. it's the, it's the rug that pulls the room together or the whole, ties the room together. And that's definitely what it is. Before attack, um, you know, every vendor had their own way to describe things, right? And they could be talking about the same adversary and nobody would know, right? Because we even have colorful names that were different. And we still have that problem, right? But the attack framework becomes the Rosetta Stone to, to fix all that. You tell me if I'm wrong. Oh, no, you're definitely right. Yeah. Because, I mean, you, if you read some of the reports, like the Intel reports back in the day, um, you could get two different reports from two different uh, Intel providers or vendors, and they would describe the same uh, even behavior in, in different ways. In different there's ways. no way to like compare them unless you really know the the deep technical details and how the actor is actually performing the act. And so that's where like you know the rubber hits the road for for attack. Well, take me back to those days, right? Because uh, the panel was talking about you know the the origin story. I'm an old comic book nerd myself, right? So I love origin story. So what was happening before you started working on this? That was the uh, the spark that said, hey, we should do this other thing. What, what was happening? Uh, it was basically back to those cyber games reports. So what is the readout that the red team did? Well, explain that. I don't know if everybody knows what that it was. The cyber games was what? For yeah, them? so the, the cyber games was basically the red versus blue uh, session that would happen as part of the, the FMX project. So For the NSA? Is for the- no, this is for, for MITRE. So for MITRE. Yeah, I'll, I'll go back a little bit. So... Uh, MITRE started this this research project, the premise that, you know, the IOCs that people were typically using to detect malware and attackers wasn't enough. You needed to instrument the the endpoint systems, instrument the network in a way that you're collecting like telemetry over time and then looking for the signal patterns that indicate an attack was happening. And so that's what the FMX project was, like that set of sensors, the set of analytics, the analytic data getting into Splunk and then Turning on it to see if you can find so, a threat. It's a red team, blue team exercise. Yeah, so we exercise. Did we not have those before that? Or we did, but it's usually like the red team going in and assessing a network, and the blue team going, "Hey, you, we caught you here, but we missed all this stuff. Like, don't tell us what we're bad at." 
where this was much more supposed to be a, a collaborative exercise because the red and blue team both had the objective, like improve the system. So it's the origin of purple team. Yes. Is it? Yeah, it was. Is it? Yeah, it was very much a purple team. How about that? I didn't know that till just now. That's really good. Okay. So we, we didn't coin the term, yeah. but we were, it was definitely like a purple team exercise. And so uh, trying to figure out like what is the, the commonalities across the threat actors so that we can emulate them successfully in this environment in a way that the, the blue team can show that their work is actually making a difference against specific threats. Like really was like the origin for attack. That was the, the foundation. So we have this, what's called, what was the games called again? Cyber game. Cyber game. So, all right, we do the games. We still don't have attack yet. So what, what change? So we had lots of data on how threats operate within like an enterprise network. And Jen was going through that data and then comparing it, figuring out what the, the nuggets of details are that are specific techniques, comparing that to what Brad and, and Eric were doing. And then we realized, okay, so if we start with the ground level, like what are the individual actions that attackers are, are going to take within a network? Like, let's start there. Let's start categorizing them. Let's start bidding them into like, what is the purpose for that technique? Is it persistence? Is it lateral movement? Is it credential access? And that started to build the framework for the, the tactics that became like part of attack. Did all that just kind of trip off your tongue back then? Like, because before, you know, I was doing this, I've been doing this for 30 years, right? No one started talking about sequences of activity until, you know, the Lucky Martin Kill Chain paper and the, the Department of Defense's Diamond Model, the MITRE attack framework, right? So were you guys thinking in those terms when, when the games are going on? Yeah, we were. But if you look at the, the Lockheed Martin cyber kill chain, like the actions on objectives is yeah. very vague. And that's basically where attack sort of like fits in squarely to, to fill in a lot of it like that. That is exactly right. I've, I've always thought the kill chain paper from Lockheed Martin was more strategic idea with no details about how to do it operationally. But you are absolutely right that MITRE sits right in those actions on the objectives phase that they didn't address. I didn't know that. What about the diamond model? Was that part of it too? Or because the Lockheed Martin paper came out in 2010, diamond model came out in 2011, but both teams were working on it in the same, you know, for five years, I guess. Yeah. And I knew, like, I worked with some of the, the founders of the diamond model yeah. at the NSA when we were yeah, uh, yeah. there together. And there's been like a lot of controversy that I think is totally unfounded in, in the industry. Like, what would you use, the diamond model or the attack framework or the cyber kill chain? But they're all necessary components to understand threats. And the diamond model is really good because it helps give an elusive framework to attribute a particular threat actor, which is important knowledge for, for some organizations like governments and sort of multinational companies to understand sort of like who they're doing business with and how that might impact their, their cybersecurity. That was Blake Trom, the Principal Security Research Manager at Microsoft. You can hear more about how the three main papers, the Lockheed Martin Kill Chain paper, the DOD's Diamond Model, and the MITRE ATT&CK framework are really the intrusion kill chain defense triad in my book, Cybersecurity First Principles, and you can get your copy at Amazon. And you can hear the full interview I had with Blake in the next season of CSO Perspectives that will come out next year. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, 
Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And finally, in 2013, Krebs on Security reported on a major breach at U.S. retailer Target, where over 40 million customer payment cards were compromised. The malware used was linked to a cyber criminal using the handle Rescator. A decade later, Brian Krebs has unearthed new clues pointing to Rescator's real-life identity. Initially believed to be a Ukrainian hacker, further investigation linked Rescator to Pavel Vrublevsky, a convicted Russian cybercriminal. Rescator's tactics involves selling stolen cards from Target and Home Depot breaches exclusively on his online shops. Rescator's identity was further unraveled through connections to the Russian cybercrime forum Black SEO and a Russian ISP, where key figures in the cybercrime world were identified. One significant clue was an email address used by Rescator, linked to a ChronoPay employee who managed pirated music sales. This led to connections with other Russian cybercrime figures and businesses involved in illicit activities, including cryptocurrency exchange Suex, sanctioned by the U.S. Treasury. Mikhail Mike Sheffel, a key figure at ChronoPay, emerged as a potential associate of Rescator. The investigation revealed intricate relationships among Russian cybercriminals, spanning various illegal enterprises. Brublevsky's continued involvement in fraudulent activities post-imprisonment and Sheffel's ventures into cryptocurrency highlight the ongoing challenges in tracking and prosecuting cybercrime. The U.S. Secret Service remains interested in further information, emphasizing the ongoing nature of the investigation into this complex web of digital crime. Unmasking cybercriminals is like peeling an onion with infinite layers, but it looks like Brian Krebs doesn't mind the tears. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Be sure to check out a special edition of this week's Research Saturday. Threat Vector host David Moulton is bringing us an exclusive interview with Unit 42's Michael Sikorsky to discuss the Russian APT fighting URSA. That's Research Saturday. Check it out. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like The Cyberwire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Peltzman. Our executive producers are Jennifer Iben and Brandon Carr. 
Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.